Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I'm Dave Hellman and somebody else just sacked Daniel Jones. At least that's what it feels like coming out of Monday Night Football. It took a minute. It's been about a month now, but I think we got there. Monday night, Seahawks down the New York Giants 24 to 3. And man, I hope you did something more fun with your Monday night. This this was not a fun watch unless you are a 12 a fan of the Seattle Seahawks, or I don't know, maybe somebody who really, really hates the New York giants, a brutal game basically from beginning to end, but the Seattle Seahawks improved to three and one. They're definitely not complaining. They, they take it to the New York giants. And as I alluded to this, this giants offense and specifically their offensive line, an absolute mess. And at this point, a you need to be worried about how many games you can win playing this way and how long Daniel Jones is going to be healthy playing behind them. Injuries, big problem here. Andrew Thomas, the star left tackle out of this game. He missed another another week with his injury. Saquon Barkley also sits out of this game, and it looked like it. I'm not exaggerating. The Seahawks sacked Daniel Jones 10 times on Monday night. They actually finished with 11. They also sacked Paris Campbell, the Giants wide receiver. Just... The, the scoreline doesn't completely reflect it. It did take the Seahawks a little ways to pull away completely. Not a memorable night for Seattle on offense, but it just never really felt like the Giants were going to be able to move the ball with their offense looking like this. And when they could, really one of the only times, or what was it the only time? Let me let me make sure I've got my stats right. Yes, the only time the Giants get down to the red zone, Daniel Jones really puts this thing out of reach with a pick six from the Seattle five-yard line. Get familiar with the name Devin Witherspoon if you're not. Of course, one of the star draft picks in this year's rookie class. He was selected fifth overall by the Seahawks, supposed to be a headline piece of this next era of the Seattle secondary, and he sure as hell looks like it. Go ahead and call this his coming out party for the people that were watching this game. Devin Witherspoon, my gosh, seven tackles, two sacks, a pass breakup, hit Daniel Jones an extra three times, and the the piece de resistance, a 95-yard pick six to really put this game out of reach, 21-3. to three. Incredibly impressive night. I think that was probably the most fun thing if you're a fan of the NFL draft is seeing this young man out of Illinois announce himself. Quiet beginning of the season. He was dealing with an injury for most of training camp, but he announces himself in a big, big way. I worry for the Giants. I, you know, they they had their season in the sun, they made the playoffs, and this was the storyline. Can you combat? regression to the mean can you stay ahead of schedule not only have they not stayed ahead of schedule they look like the giants of 2017 2018 2019 the joke giants the the joe judge giants i mean that's what it looks like when you score three points i think that they said on the broadcast the seahawks have now been outscored 64 to 3 at home or did, did I say the Seahawks, the giants outscored 64 to three at home. Remember they got shut out 40 to nothing in week one by the Cowboys now 24 to three. And it, it felt way more lopsided than that. You see Brian Dable throwing his, his play tablet down in Daniel Jones's face on the sideline, looking disgusted. 
The Giants have the Dolphins and the Bills next. Those are both road games. This, this, uh, I, I hate to be too reactionary when we're still very early in the season, but this thing feels like it could be slipping away. It's going to take some major heroics from somebody to get the ship even sort of righted for the New York Giants. Need that offensive line to get healthier. Need some sort of of usable performance from them. Otherwise, this is just never going to work. And let's not let's not let Daniel Jones completely off the hook either. Multiple turnovers tonight. Also had a, a strip sack. I believe he's at seven on the season. Just an ugly, ugly start to the year. And every time the Giants play, you're going to be reminded that they signed Daniel Jones to a $160 million contract in the offseason. The vibes are bad in New York. Seattle, back to the back to the grind. They're, they're up three wins in a row after dropping that season opener to the Rams. That loss suddenly doesn't seem so bad. I think the Seahawks are in a very, very healthy place heading into the second month of the season. But the Giants now officially contending for worst vibes in the NFL. Fortunately for them, one team in the NFL continues to wear the bad vibes crown, and that continues into week five. Sunday was so busy, we didn't even get to the Chicago Bears' inexplicable loss to the Denver Broncos. They fall to 0-4 on the season. They actually own the number one and number two picks in the NFL draft right now by virtue of having Carolina's pick because of that trade for Bryce young back during the spring. But y'all it is, it is bad in Chicago and it continues to be bad for a variety of reasons. If it wasn't just being Owen four, blowing a lead against Denver on Sunday afternoon. Now the bears are embroiled in controversy about chase Claypool why he was a healthy and active against Denver this weekend, why he wasn't at the game, why he won't be at the game this coming week against Washington. I don't even know if I'm keeping it all straight. That's why I'm joined now by our own NFC North writer, Carmen Vitale, plugged into all things Chicago Bears. Carmen, can you please help me make sense? First, before we even get into the football Help me make sense of the Chase Claypool situation, what his future looks like with the Chicago Bears and and where that all goes from here. We are seeing new levels of dysfunction from the Chicago Bears every week. It's hard to imagine that the resignation of their defensive coordinator and all of those things you mentioned before happened just over a week ago. Uh, there's some always something new, but with Chase Claypool, you didn't exactly get it right, but I don't blame you because it's an incredibly confusing situation. And uh, so he was made inactive on, on Sunday. And you see that when the inactives come out about an hour and a half before the game and everybody's looking for him on the sidelines. He's not there just to make sure everyone understands this at home. Usually when a player is made inactive, they are still at the game, especially if it's a home game, especially if there's no injury concern with them traveling or flying or anything like that. It is unprecedented to not see a player, even if he's an active, who is still a member of a team to not be there on game day. So then after the game, Matt Eberflus is asked if Chase Claypool was in fact not at the stadium. And Matt confirmed, Eberflus confirmed that, and then was asked why not. And Eberflus said that there was the, that he had that Claypool had a choice and he was not there. He didn't go so far as to say that Claypool chose to stay home. All he said was that 
he had a choice and Claypool was at home. So everybody takes that to mean, though, that Chase Claypool has electively stayed home and he's doing some sort of protest with the with the Chicago Bears, uh, maybe about playtime, maybe his usage, stuff that he was alluding to on Friday in the locker room. Uh, this was not a punishment for those comments, at least that's what Matty Rufloos said. But then the next day, that is Monday, Matty Rufloos comes back to the podium and for all the back and forth that happened after the game, Matty Rufloos was still not prepped or prepared to answer any of the questions about Chase Claypool. It came out that the team made a statement after last in Sunday night saying that Chase Claypool was asked to stay home by the team, in fact, and did not have a choice whether or not to come to the game. So Matty Rufloos addressed that on Monday, saying that he wasn't clear on what had happened. The conversations that he had had with Chase Claypool were over the phone, and no one is sure when that conversation happened. Usually, from sources that I've talked to around the league, inactive players are told they are going to be inactive on Friday, unless it is injury-related, in which case sometimes that bleeds over into Saturday or the day before the game if they are trying to test out an injury. That was, again, not the case. So I don't know that I'm clarifying any of this more because Matt Eberflus didn't have any more clarity on Monday other than to say that Chase Claypool will now no longer be with the team this week leading up to their Thursday night game against the Commanders. He is leaving any sort of personnel decisions to Ryan Poles, who is the general manager, and he would not comment further on Chase's future with the team other than the fact that he will not be with them this week. Yeah, if, if you if you love watching footage of train wrecks or if you're just a sucker for awkward situations, I encourage you to hop on social media and find the footage of the Chicago media just throwing questions about Chase Claypool at Matt Eberflus with no answers. And look, we talked about this before the interview, Carm. Like, I understand a football coach dodging and trying not to give anything away to the media. That's normal. But Matt Eberflus comes across looking incompetent by not having a straight answer about why Chase Claypool is not around, what the circumstances are, why he doesn't have a clear answer of what's going on beyond, yeah, he's going to miss this game coming up on a Thursday night, by the way. It's just, again, after what this team's already been through, it reeks of incompetence from the top down. Like I said, levels of dysfunction. This isn't just Matty Recluse. This isn't just his staff. This isn't just the players. This isn't just the front office. This is the entire organization that is woefully unprepared to deal with all of this quote-unquote adversity that we're seeing. And honestly, I don't have a good answer for why Matty Recluse was not prepared to go in and face a Chicago media contingent. Listen, Chicago is the third largest media market in the country. You are going to have to answer questions from these wonderful reporters that are just trying to make sense of everything because it is their job. And I understand, like you said, coaches don't want to divulge a lot of information. But when you are sidestepping all of these questions and you're trying to come up with non-answers, it is. It's coming across in, as incompetent. And I know that Matt Eberflus is not an incompetent coach. He's not an incompetent person. You don't get to be a head coach in the NFL being incompetent. Uh, I don't know if that 
That might be a hot take. Maybe some would disagree with me on that one. But at the same time, um, it just it's a bad look for the entire organization. And it the hits just keep coming, which just keep piling on. And Matty Refluse is digging himself into a low like bigger and bigger hole that I don't know how he's going to end up getting out of, especially if the Chicago Bears can't get on track on the field at least. That is the irony, and we can now move to the football, is that, look, I know they lost to a Broncos team that doesn't look particularly good either, and they, I mean, they gave this game away. They're up 28-7 in the second half. Fumble touchdown by Justin Fields really opens the door for Denver to get back in this thing and wind up winning, but from what we've seen from the Bears, you've got to take some confidence in what we saw from this game. I mean, I don't think you can just write off the fact that Sunday was Justin Fields' first 300-yard game ever. The fir- first time he's ever done it. Four touchdowns. First time he's ever done that, too? I, I mean, <laughs> dare I say it was a pretty good performance. Of course, like I said, he fumbles that leads to a defensive touchdown for Denver. He throws a pick trying to get the Bears into range for a game-tying field goal. I get it. Still not great, but from what we saw through the first three weeks... Can we consider this progress? Is this something that the Bears can carry forward to try to find some semblance of good news somewhere? I'm hoping that is the case because of one thing, and that is the play calling in general. I know that there were still some hiccups along the way. I know there were some times that maybe they shouldn't have gone for it on fourth and one. I still have no idea why they insist on sneaking Cole Komet from under center rather than Justin Fields, who is a big 230 pound quarterback who, Oh, by the way, is a really great runner. Uh, I don't understand some of these play calls still, but at the same time, the Chicago bears saw an uptick in things that we have been wanting them to do as in play action RPOs. There were only ended up being a couple design quarterback runs and they weren't particularly effective, but then you were able to see how that, ended up opening up this offense and giving Justin Fields a little bit of breathing room to the point where he could go down the field. They had by the half at point with the halfway point of Sunday's game, they had seven plays over 20 yards prior to that. The three weeks prior to that, they had eight total plays of over 20 yards. So now you you've matched that in one single game and you've done it in a way that seems sustainable if you continue it. I think their their pat their play action percentage, I'm looking at the numbers right now, fourth uh, of, of any team in week four uh through this this Monday night game. So 18.6% of their of the Chicago Bears plays were play action. Uh 20% even were play action or RPO, some type of play action or RPO. Uh, They also utilized 21 personnel, which is having two backs on the field in addition to Justin Fields, 18.6% of the time. That is important because that can be a strength of this offense going forward. Now we just have to see them do it against a team that didn't give up 70 points the week before. I I, mean, I hear you, and yes, I'm I'm gonna do my best not to overreact to one good performance against a potentially very bad team, but at the same time, like you just mentioned, some of this stuff seemed like kind of an elementary fix. This is something we talked about in our production meetings earlier, which is that, and this this is a much longer conversation, but it's hard not to notice 
what's happening in Houston with CJ Stroud, a similarly talented, similarly high drafted quarterback from the same school, Ohio state as Justin Fields has a decimated offensive line has a receiver core that's played well, but isn't anything to get excited about. Doesn't that start to sound like Justin Fields? And then you see what he's doing. 1200 passing yards through the first month, 300 yards on Sunday. I just don't believe that that Justin Fields can't do it. I'm not saying he's like this franchise guy that's going to go on to become one of the best quarterbacks in the league, but I refuse to believe you can't get production like this out of him, at least occasionally. And that's what is so intriguing about this game is it's like, yeah, with the right situation, with the right offense and, and designing it around the things he does well, surely Justin Fields can be more serviceable than what we saw the first three weeks of the season, which was not serviceable at all by NFL standards. I mean, I just, I don't know if he can do this every week, but I do think that his floor should be higher than what we've seen. He's a better runner than CJ Stroud. He's a better runner than pretty much any quarterback in the league right now. Lamar Jackson probably still owns that crown, but Justin Fields is explosive when it comes to that. And it's interesting that you actually bring up the Texans because of the fact that their offensive coordinator from the Shanahan tree, I was when I was looking up all of these stats about the Chicago Bears this week, you want to know who ran a, a pro set, a, a multi-back set, uh, more like top two teams that ran 21 personnel is what I'm trying to get at. The San Francisco 49ers, the original Shanahan, and the Houston Texans. 56.6% of the time, 49ers had two backs on the field in addition to their quarterback. The Texans, 47.8%. Oh, so you're telling now, me Bobby Slowick, the OC in Houston, learned a thing Houston, or two from Kyle Shanahan? From Kyle Shanahan, and perhaps this whole... But the thing is, Luke Getze comes from this tree, too. He worked under Matt LaFleur in Green Bay as a quarterback's coach. Matt LaFleur is part of this Shanahan wonderful coaching tree. So he should be familiar enough with this system to know that when you have a quarterback that can run... You add two more backs on the field and you force defenses to figure out how to contend with three different runners. That's defenses are built to defend that anymore. This is a passing league. Defenses are smaller and faster these days. They're not built to contend with the run like this. So it's working for these other teams that are within this group of coaches that the bears belong to. So it's baffling to me. It's taken this long, but I'm hoping that this is something that keeps up because again, when you're talking about tailoring an offense to Justin Fields skill set, this is it. This is how you do it. it. It just doesn't seem like it should be that hard. And I'll say it one more time. I'm not asking Justin Fields to magically become an elite NFL quarterback, but a coaching staff that's good at its job should be able to build a good offense or a, a, a useful offense around this guy. I'm choosing to see it as encouraging that the bears were able to do it so well this past week. I do think it's ironic that you and I are sitting here saying, Oh, if the coaches can just do this, Justin Fields has, has at least a little bit of untapped potential. Meanwhile, this interview started talking about how hapless the bears coaching staff has looked. So Hopefully the stuff that's getting said in the media 
is 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 more chaotic than what's actually happening behind the scenes. Because, like I said, because, just because the Bears need a win, I'm choosing to believe that this could be the first step toward a better offense. Am I am I crazy for that? No, because I think they saw that it worked. And once you see that something works, hopefully something just clicked into place. But it's still an uphill battle because of all of the off the field dysfunction. I mean, we're talking about the media room at Hallis Hall was upended. To, like when we when when reporters came in today or Monday rather, and there was a, a, a stage that hadn't been there before. It was a temporary stage, a smaller podium. Everything was off center. It looked off kilter. I'm like. We can't even get the media, the the press conference is right at this point. So it's an uphill battle when you're fighting things outside of what you're trying to do on the field. And that is something that we have not seen the Bears be able to get together and just kind of make, just have things run smoothly and just be normal. That's not something we've seen from the Chicago Bears at all this season. There's There's something else popping up every week. Uh, and maybe if they end up moving on from Chase Claypool, which it definitely seems like they're trying, I think Ryan Poles is trying to get something, anything for Chase Claypool at this point. Um, if they can move on from that and avoid any more drama, then I think the the product on the field has a chance. Chicago Bears, just be normal. I can just tell, be normal. I can tell I'm a sicko because I have now successfully talked myself into being very, very excited. Bears at Commanders on Thursday night. So we don't have to wait too long to see exactly what happens next. I have a feeling it'll be chaotic and interesting. And we will get in touch with Carmen Vitale to talk about all of it. Carmen, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me couple other headlines coming out of week four, most important and the biggest bummer bills, cornerback Tredavious white. We get confirmation Monday of what we figured when we saw him exit against Miami on Sunday, he's got a torn Achilles. He is out for the season. It's obviously it's a huge blow for the bills from a pure football perspective, two-time pro bowler, key piece of their secondary, a veteran leader on that team from a human standpoint, it really, really sucks. I think if you watch the game, you saw the Bills' entire roster surround White as he was getting carted off the field. The emotion on display there. White is very recently returned from a torn ACL. He tore his ACL in 2021, took a, a long, winding recovery to get back from that. He came back in the second half of last season, was looking forward to being a part of a much healthier secondary along with Micah Hyde and, and Jordan Poyer, the safeties up there in Buffalo, not going to happen. Hate it for the bills. Hate it for Trey white speedy recovery to him. Looks like it'll be Dane Jackson, uh, the veteran, the veteran backup up there in Buffalo who gets the first crack at it. I'm sure the bills would love to see a little bit more from last year's first round pick Kyer Elam as well. They, they have options, uh, but Theme for the season. You never want to see a pro bowler go down for the year, but the bills will be without Tredavious white for the rest of the season. Best wishes to him. It does seem like the Pittsburgh Steelers dodged a little bit of a bullet. Kenny Pickett goes down with a knee injury in that loss to Houston. Anytime somebody's grabbing their knee or anything below the knee, really you fear for the worst. It does seem like at least decent news for Kenny Pickett. They're calling it a bone bruise. Doesn't sound like the Steelers are going to rule him out. So there is a chance he plays this weekend against Baltimore. 
they have a bye coming up. I I believe in week six. I would I wouldn't be surprised if they play that relatively safe and say, hey, Kenny, let's not make this any worse than it needs to be. Let's get you right for uh, week seven and beyond. But something to keep an eye on. If Kenny Pickett can't go, it'll be Mitch Trubisky stepping in in a big division game spot against Baltimore. Really sucky news coming out of New England. If you again, if you watch that game as if it wasn't bad enough that the Patriots get blown off the field 38 to three in Dallas. Christian Gonzalez has a dislocated shoulder. Matthew Judon, their pro bowl edge rusher, lower bicep tendon tear, no timeline. Not sure if their seasons are done, but they are out indefinitely. I don't know that it's a stretch to say, I mean, Matthew Judon's one of the most underrated players in the league, even in just his first month of his career. I don't think it's a stretch to say Christian Gonzalez and Matthew Judon could be the Patriots two best players, or at the very least they're on the short list. So tough to recover from when you're already one and three coming off a 35 point loss. Hopefully those guys get back sooner rather than later. Some good news in Indianapolis for one of the star stars of this sport. Not that we've seen him, but it sounds like Jonathan Taylor is going to return to practice that long confusing, contentious saga from the preseason feels like ancient history. Taylor was unavailable due to injury. Oh, and also he was disgruntled about his contract situation. It sounded like he might be traded. He is returning to practice. I hope maybe not everything's going to be great, but I hope that Taylor and the Colts can put that behind him for the time being, because I think that offense has the potential to be incredibly fun with Anthony Richardson having an all pro pro bowl caliber rushing attack, a guy who can take the pressure off of him, a guy that can contribute in the running game. Obviously Richardson with 56 yards and a touchdown the other day against LA that has the potential to be really dangerous. I like what that could be considering Shane Steichen's history and his pedigree as an offensive coordinator and a, and a play caller. That could be really exciting. I'm sure the Colts wish they had Taylor on Sunday, the thinnest of margins. They lose in overtime to the Los Angeles Rams, but it is a loss. The story continues to be this young Rams team that climbs back to two and two. Yes, they're headlined by Matthew Stafford and Aaron Donald, but we're going to keep talking about Puka Nakua as long as he continues to set NFL records. No, that's not an exaggeration. 501 receiving yards through the first month of his career. Rarely have we seen anything like this, certainly from a guy drafted in the fifth round. One of the stories of the season to this point. That's why I'm joined now by somebody who was on hand for this overtime thriller, Shannon Spake, who was on the sideline for the NFL on Fox. And Shannon, as he continues to become more and more of a household name, I do think it's interesting that we still don't know that much about this guy. Not a, not a noteworthy draft pick, not a top 10 or even a first round selection. So as you've gotten to know more and more about this guy, what can you tell us about Puka Nakua? It's so funny because I got to talk to him on the phone this week. And, and obviously the storyline I think has been, you know, about his father's death and, and the emotions that you see from him pregame. 
Um, I asked him, I said, what is it that you want everyone to know about you, right? About you. I mean, we've seen these, um, you know, this emotion on display and really kind of, I feel like connected with him on a different level, even outside of just, you know, the X's and O's and playing footballs and all the stats that you just mentioned. And he said, I, I just love football. I, I'm from a football family. I, this is what I love. Um, you know, his, his Samoan background is about respect and, and, and honesty and trust. And he said with this group that he's with, right now Matthew Stafford obviously being the leader of that group he gets all that and and he uh is really connected uh Cooper Cup was at the game this weekend he was out um on the field pregame just kind of throwing passes we know he's going to be back at practice this week based on what Sean McVay said and I asked Cooper about him and he said Cooper said this he said I've never seen a rookie do the things that he's done it's been amazing he said he is light years ahead of where he should be for year one and that's that says a lot coming from a Super Bowl champion and a guy like Cooper Cup who spends an enormous amount of time with Matthew Stafford trying to get on the same page and create this connection and it seems like Puka and and Matthew have it uh just very very early in their careers together it's a perfect segue for something else I'm really curious about obviously when a when a fifth round pick comes out of nowhere to do the stuff that Puka's doing he deserves to be the story but it feels like a lifetime ago that the narrative around the Rams was, oh my God, it's it's all these young, unproven players. And does Matthew Stafford know how to connect with any of these guys? Is is Matthew Stafford going to be in for a long season with this not very talented roster? And that clearly doesn't seem to be the case through a month. And I'm curious, this, this seems like it has to be a lot of fun for a guy like Stafford to be as late into his NFL career as he is uh, you know, he's he's won the Super Bowl. He's been around a lot of great players. But uh, to be kind of leading a young team like this that is playing with so much energy, uh, it, it certainly looks like a lot of fun from the outside. Well, he wasn't having fun on Sunday, I'll tell you that much, because he was pretty <laughs> He was he was hurting badly, and and that of course Puka getting that for that touchdown, his first career touchdown, uh, in such a dramatic fashion was key, and and those guys really rallied around him. I, I I do think there's a lot to be said about the schedule that they've had and the back and forth from the West Coast to the East Coast. I do feel like watching that defense on the sideline, you know, they'll probably say no, it was fine, it was fine, but I do think that there was a sense of, I mean, you saw them kind of wear out as that game kind of went on, and. Uh, uh, and, you know, when, and obviously the Colts were able to do what the Colts did in that second half, or I guess I should say that that quarter and a half. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, listen, Matthew Stafford is an incredible talent. He's he's tough as nails. You know that one day he could be a coach. And I do think he loves that leadership role. And I think he loves rallying the guys and seeing the guys around him kind of rise up. Are, are you asking me if he would rather have a group of young guys that he's teaching or uh, veterans like he did, you know, when they went in to win the Super Bowl? I, I think I think it would be kind of a, a toss up. Um, but but listen, they're they're doing it. And, and I think even on defense, right, their defense is pretty young, but pretty tested early on. They've had guys like DK Metcalf and Chase Claiborne and and some of the the most elite um, you know receivers in the league and and they've been tested and Raheem Morris like he's just the best right I mean it, there's there's not a bad thing you could say about this guy he needs to be a head coach in the league and um, and it'll be fun one day to see him get back there. So I, I get that it's still early in the season, but at it some is. point, it, but is. I, it, it is. <laughs> but at, at some point. 
I think you see enough of a body of work to say, okay, I'm not, I'm not penciling the Rams into the Super Bowl or anything like that, but they've won two games. And even in their losses, I mean, they went punch for punch with San Francisco. They pushed Cincinnati to the brink in their other loss as well. So even when they're not winning, they're clearly a very, very competitive team. Is it too early? At least, like I said, you don't have to tell me the Rams are going to the playoffs, but is it at least late enough in the season that we can say the Rams aren't going away? The Rams aren't going to be an easy out for anybody. Give me another week or two. You know? <laughs> we're just we're coming off a. We're, I mean, we're coming off a game that they 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 pulled a shutout in the first half and then let that team back in uh, to to potentially win it. And if the coin flip had gone the other way, we could be talking about the Rams um, being one and three. So I I think we need a couple more weeks. I, you know what? I appreciate the balanced approach. I tried to get you to go there, but that's yeah. that is a totally. It's a totally fair reaction. You mentioned the other half of this, and and you're right. You know, at, at 1 p.m. on Sunday, there's nine games going around at once. And for the first, I don't know, two hours of this Rams-Colts game, you're like, okay, the Rams have this thing under control. And all of a sudden, they don't. And a big part of that is obviously Anthony Richardson. I would love to hear from a firsthand perspective what you've learned about that guy. Clearly, all the talent in the world, three total touchdowns on Sunday, leads the Colts back into this thing. In addition to that ability as a player, what, what's your impression of, of this of this young guy in his first month of his rookie season? He is a man child. I mean, when this dude walks in the room, you're like, he. there's no way that guy's 21 years old. He is a massive human being. Uh, it's like Cam Newton-esque, right? And physically, he just has all of those things. And I and I think he's got a great arm, obviously has to work on accuracy. He has to work on, which we did see him this past weekend, slide a couple times rather than trying to use that physicality, uh, trying to, you know, kind of, he will lower his shoulder and, and he'll get in there, but he, you know, it's that risk versus reward when you're the quarterback, not only wanting to make it through the game, uh, but make it through the season. We had them week one, um, they were not able to pull out the win over Jacksonville. Obviously, that was the very first game that he had competed in. Um, now we've had him in week four. But I, again, I don't think you have enough of a body of work because he's missed a game and a half, right, when he, where he was sitting on the sidelines. He doesn't have a guy like Jonathan Taylor, who, you know, we'll see if he gets back to practice this week on Wednesday. And so he's trying to do a lot with a little. Yes, Zach Moss has really stepped up and, and kind of been um, the guy who's put up the yards. But he's, you know, think about it. He's still trying to build all that chemistry. He's still trying to learn the NFL way. When he was in the SEC, he was probably the biggest dude, despite the fact that SEC has huge defenses out there. He's he's playing college kids. I mean, in the NFL, everyone's big. You have Aaron Donald, you know, coming around the edge and, and chasing you down in the NFL every single weekend. And so I still think that, I think that he is probably the most impressive that I've seen, not only size-wise, but but um, but intelligence-wise and the way that he can kind of do things on the field. I really like the, the week one game that we saw and, and obviously this past week. He's been really impressive early on, but given the fact that he's missed um, some time with that, you know, being in concussion protocol, I do think we need to get a little bit, um, a little bit more. I'll be interested to see how it progresses over the next couple of weeks with him. They love I him tell in Indy. They oh. love him in Indy. I mean, they are all about some, you know, Anthony Richardson. We, I mean, we can't write the the book on a guy's career this early. Mm -hmm. We can't even do it when the season's over. But if I'm a Colts fan, I understand why they love him. I understand why oh. you have to be 
so so excited the way the ball looks coming out of his hand like you said the 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 size and the speed of this guy i always i laugh when you were talking about that it made me chuckle because i tell people all the time you get a new appreciation for nfl football when you see it from the sideline yeah and i i have to imagine from your perspective seeing anthony richardson and aaron donald get after it down in and down out just has to be a a jaw-dropping experience I have the best seat in the house. People ask me all the time because I've covered college basketball. I've covered college football. I covered NASCAR currently. People ask me all the time, what is it about the NFL? And, and my number one answer is the athleticism. There, it's, it's, there's nothing like it. When you see Stefan Diggs, you know, go up for, you know, a one-handed pass and, or you see, you know, I get to, I get to cover Miami this week and, and the speed that I'm going to see on the sideline this week in Miami, you, you do not understand it until you see it firsthand because I'll look at some of those guys in practice and I'll be like yeah that's totally what I look like running across the field right I like they're not even they don't even look like they're trying and they have this incredible grace and just like the this 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 just like they're lengthy and and just it's beautiful and to see it from the sideline but I'll tell you if they had a camera on me during the game you'd get some funny faces because the hits that you hear when 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 dudes are in the stands going get up hit them hit them i'm just like you have no idea what it is like that these guys put their bodies through physically it is incredible the sounds that i hear and the intensity that i feel down there on the sidelines it's it's an eye-opening experience when you feel a hit like in your chest you know like you can feel the contact like echo in your rib cage yeah that's those a guys different... come towards me on the sideline like and i am out like if you like again if you had a camera on me i'm like i am out because like in racing cars slide right for a very long time and i've done racing for a really long time so my mental just like my mental my mind just goes to the fact that they're going to slide into me and and that is not the way i want to go down in an nfl game getting taken out by number 99 hey. just i'd have a concussion i wouldn't be able to finish the game <laughs> i'd be it's, in the event <laughs> it's a it's an age-old adage in football head on a swivel and I mean, yeah. so it Do sounds not like turn your back to the field when they are coming towards you. Always <laughs> stand away from the way that they're moving for sure. <laughs> well, Shannon, you mentioned it yourself this week. It's uh, the Miami Dolphins and the New York Giants. Cannot wait to see uh, yeah. how the Dolphins respond to their first loss of the season. And, and now I will be sure to have a close eye on making sure you're staying out of out of the line of action for sure. Well, let me tell you something. I'm I'm in my 40s and I grew up in Fort Lauderdale. So that's about 40 something years that I was a Dolphins fan. I gave them up about five years ago because the the pain was too, too intense. Um, every year you would start the season and, and things would be going well. And then all of a sudden, you know, just it would just so. Uh, my family, they're all Dolphin fans. They've told me that I could come back and, and, I'm, and I'm not okay with jumping on the bandwagon. So I'm going to stay neutral. Uh, I love Mike McDaniels. I, I think this team is so much fun to watch. I covered to his first start a couple of years ago, got to do a report with his very first touchdown and they are fun. I think that they may have bought into their success a little early is what happened maybe at Buffalo. And I've covered way too many great teams from, you know, college sports to, to the NFL 
to know that coaches will always say sometimes you have to lose in order to win and that might be the case with the miami dolphins we'll see this weekend i don't think that i think that the giants are going to be not a i mean i don't know if they're going to be a, a really oh i moved you i don't know if they're going to be a really tough um you know uh matchup for them especially with a guy like saquon if he's not on the field but um but i do think it'll it, i mean they're going to be coming in hot because i think they got pretty embarrassed yeah, I, I have a feeling they will be uh, refocused. I can't wait to see it. Shannon Spake, best of luck with the call. I really I really appreciated the time. This was a lot of fun. Next time, we'll just do a tour around my around my office. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime. If, whenever you've got the time, we can, you know, we can talk racing. We can talk hoops. We, we'll go. do the tour. I got it, all it all. sounds fantastic. All right up here. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate it. That about wraps it up for week four, which can only mean one thing. It's time for power rankings. Everybody's played four games, no bye weeks just yet. So what better way to get everybody mad than to rank the NFL? That's what we do. You know the drill by now. I'm going to take you through some of the big movers and shakers, the fallers, the risers. If you want to see the entire list, if you want to see my rationale for all 32 teams, you can go find it on foxsports.com, on the Fox Sports app. Read it, argue with it, email me, tweet me, whatever. For the purposes of this show, we'll go through six teams that I think are particularly interesting now that we've played four games. We'll start at the bottom with the New York Giants falling two spots to number 30. Giants, you are officially in that, oh no, are we playing for a top five, top three draft pick territory? I would consider dropping them worse if they weren't just above the last two teams in the league without a win. I think Carolina and Chicago still in much worse shape than the Giants, but if you watched on Monday night, you saw it. The offensive line is a wreck. Daniel Jones certainly not looking like a $40 million quarterback. The defense can't tackle anybody missed tackles all over the place. This looks like a putrid team. I'm honestly shocked that as good of a job, Brian Dable did coaching this team last year. That's how bad it looks right now. Judging from his reactions on the sideline. I think he's just as shocked as me. We'll see if they can pull out of it, but like I said earlier, it's Miami, it's Buffalo coming up. I don't know how much better it's going to get. Moving up to a, a free faller at number 27 is the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I'll tell you why Steelers. It's not because your offense is bad because we've known that they've been one of the worst offenses in the league all season, 12 first downs on Sunday, Kenny Pickett struggles and gets hurt. So as if all of this wasn't bad enough, your starting quarterback is now dealing with a knee injury. The running game has been completely unremarkable all season, obviously failure to get anything going in the passing game, but that's, that's not why I dropped the Steelers as far as I did. It's because what was supposed to get them through was the defense. This is the Steelers. This is what they do. I picked the Steelers to beat the Texans purely because I trusted their defense that much. The pass rushing duo of TJ Watt and Alex Highsmith, Minka Fitzpatrick is out there flying around. I thought they would be able to do something against a rookie in CJ Stroud and a offensive line that looks like a mash unit with all the injuries the Texans have. What did the Texans do to these guys? 450 yards, 30 points. CJ Stroud doesn't get sacked one time not one sack of CJ Stroud. Did the, did the Steelers even hit him? 
cool. You hit him six times, not good enough to keep him from scoring 30. Very disillusioning performance from the Steelers. I think the defensive front papers over a lot of holes on this team, particularly at the cornerback position. I'm just not sure the Steelers are who I thought they were, or at the very least, they got to get back to playing better defense because I just don't see the offense being much better than it's looked through the first month of the season. All right, let's climb up a little bit. Number 22, falling eight spots. Again, a free faller, the Cincinnati Bengals. I think we we have to officially consider the Bengals a mediocre to bad team. Like we're a month in. We can't just assume they're going to figure it out after four games. Remember, last year they fall to 0-2 and, and there was a lot of panic and they climbed out of it. They're 4-4 four and four at the midpoint of the season and then they didn't lose again. But that wasn't this. And, and it's not necessarily their fault because Joe Burrow's dealing with a calf injury, but how, A, how healthy can he get playing every week and, and taking these hits and putting strain on the calf? And B, let's say Joe Burrow can get healthy. How long are they going to lose before it happens? How big of a hole are they going to dig for themselves before this offense starts to look better? I fully expected them, maybe they don't even beat Tennessee, but I expected them to play a competitive game. The defense gets gashed. The offense is is the wreck that we've seen three out of the four weeks. And let's be honest, even when they beat the Rams, they only scored one touchdown. I hate to do it because I know they would be a different team if Joe Burrow was healthy, but he's not. And until something changes there, I think we have to assume that it's going to be a rough watch with the Cincinnati Bengals, at least until further notice. Let's jump up the board a little bit. Uh, I, I've got a soft spot for the Tampa Bay Bucks. I'll just say it. I've got them at 11, climbing up four places after they dominated New Orleans in the Superdome place that's supposed to be hard to win. Bucks made it look pretty easy. I don't know. I think we can firmly say that the Bucks are not part of the league's elite. It is just a week or so ago that they got smashed by Philadelphia on Monday night football, 25 to 11 Eagles moved the ball at will. The offense couldn't get anything going. So not putting the bucks in that top tier category. But when you start to get into the middle of the league, this is a formula that I think can win a lot of games. I've been saying it for a month. The defense still has all of those really good players from the Super Bowl year. Lots of veteran leadership, lots of talent. Antoine Winfield, the safety, looked amazing against the Saints, flying all over the place. He's got attitude. He's got swag. Love that guy. And Baker Mayfield's playing absolutely out of his mind. He's been incredible on third downs in particular. Like when it's third down, whether it's with his feet or with a clutch throw, more often than not, Baker Mayfield's been getting it done, not calling the Buccaneers a Super Bowl contender, but I certainly think that the formula they're using right now could help them win a bad division, and that would be a huge win for Todd Bowles and all those guys down there. All right, heavyweights to the top. Let's start with the Buffalo Bills jumping up. Yeah, I jumped them over the Eagles and the Chiefs. I don't care. You beat the Dolphins 48 to 20, hang 50 on the Miami Dolphins after all the praise we've given them. You deserve the number two spot. Ancient history, what happened in week one against the Jets. We'll forgive you for that if Josh Allen's playing this way. This was the Bills at their absolute dominant best. Josh Allen playing like a cyborg. The running game gets something going. The defense is ferocious. They don't even have Von Miller back yet. I think it's fitting. And I'm not writing off the Dolphins, 
But the Dolphins were a fun story of September, and the Bills very firmly said, hey, there's levels to this. We've been here for years. We're not ready to go anywhere just yet. If they hadn't melted down against the Jets, they would be the unquestioned number one team in the league. But they do have that blemish on their resume. And that is why I've got the Niners back in the top spot. Number one overall. They're unbeaten. They've made it look easy every step of the way. They've really, they've barely been challenged. The Rams only came within one score of them because Sean McVay elected to kick the most meaningless field goal of the season. The Rams kicked down 10 with four seconds to play. It's the only reason anybody has come within one score of the 49ers. They put the gas down against the Cardinals. They've cracked 30 points every week of the season. Christian McCaffrey looks like an MVP. Brock Purdy continues to just efficiently lead this offense where it needs to go. The defense is the defense. I don't need to list all the names. You know who they are. And we get to see just how for real they are with Dallas coming to town this weekend. They are a worthy number one. I can't wait to see how they defend their throne. That does it for power rankings. That does it. For the show, we're moving on. We're on to week five. We keep rolling. We will be back so soon. We've got plenty of content for y'all heading into week five of the NFL season. Go find us on Spotify. Go find us on Apple Podcasts, social media. We're posting TikToks now. I'm, I'll, I'll do the TikTok dances if, it, if people want. If, they, if you want that, I don't care. Tell the Swifties about me. We, we, we made friends with the Swifties on TikTok this past weekend. I'm looking forward to more of it. I'm enjoying this a lot, y'all. I appreciate it. I'm Dave. Thanks for listening. We'll catch y'all soon.